chapter 6. If you would, book of Isaiah, chapter 6, a very, very familiar verse probably. It's been preached on plenty of times. Probably not going to be a message you've heard or a message like most of the ones you've heard out of the passage. But Isaiah chapter 6, Pastor, she tried to sneak in late. You see that? You see her in the corner holding the baby? Serena over there? Yeah. Her and Beth Smith, both in visiting today. I'm very happy. Uh, so Beth got, to, Beth got to meet my, my kids and officially meet my wife, too. And so this it's been a great day for me. Anyways, uh, and Serena did, too, not, not to discount you. I saw you back there holding my kid. Um, but uh, So if you haven't met them before, they're not first-time visitors. They were long-time visitors for the longest time, and then they, they, they left. Uh, anyway, um, well, so, but Beth's here, so I didn't, I, I was hoping she'd play the organ, but Beth didn't, she didn't jump at the chance to play the organ. I was trying to sneak her in, but uh, maybe tonight, I'm excited. All right, perhaps tonight. Um, the Lord might come back today, but she might play if he doesn't, all right? Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twenty covered his face, and with twenty covered his feet, and with twenty did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I will stop right there for the moment. Uh, here He is, and uh, Isaiah, of course, many... Many have preached on most of that passage right there and the seeing the Lord and the vision of heaven and the vision of the Lord God Almighty sitting upon a throne high and lifted up in His place as the God of the universe on His throne with the seraphims around about and He's getting this, this one shot into heaven. But that's not where the verse started. The verse tells you exactly when this happens and it's in the year that King... Uzziah died. That's pretty substantial right there. Now, most of you may or may not know about King Uzziah. Uh, we'll get into that here shortly. But Isaiah is written uh, somewhere, if Usher's chronology is right, he's, he starts his ministry at about 760 B.C., the end of the book isn't until 698 B.C., so he covers uh, well over 40 years of ministry uh, easily, uh, and about 42 years at least. And so here is, here is Isaiah writing, and he's writing in the year that King Uzziah died by this point. You look back over the early parts of the book, and the first five chapters are pretty rough. 
If you don't know the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying, and as he's prophesying, it is basically, you're all doomed and destruction is coming. Uh, In fact, you go just back a chapter, and you have chapter 5, and his warning is that the Lord has gotten himself a vineyard. The vineyard is the nation of Israel. And he's purchased the vineyard, and he's planted the vineyard, and he's done everything he needs to do for the vineyard. And his statement about is, what more could I have done for my vineyard? What more could the Lord have done for the nation of Israel by this point? And he goes out, and he goes to check his grapes, and he says, and I planted good grapes, and I got wild grapes. I got garbage, basically, for what I was putting in. And you guys have done everything the way that you wanted to do. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down the wall, and I'm going to tear down my vineyard, and I'm going to let everything come in and let the wild bees destroy the entire place. (laughs) For five chapters, two years, if Usher's right, if the chronologies are all right, two years he's been standing there preaching destruction, 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 destruction. You're all wicked, and we're going to get destroyed. (laughs) And in Isaiah chapter 6 is the year that King Uzziah dies. Now Uzziah is one of the best kings Israel had. We'll look at his life here in just a moment. But Uzziah reigns, I believe, for 52 years. As a 16-year-old boy, they put him on the throne. The epitaph for his life, we'll look at it, is that he was a good king. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. Does he have mistakes? Yeah, we'll look at those two. But as he looks over the life that he had, 52 years this king is sitting on a throne. The time that Isaiah starts writing, this man is sitting on a throne. A good king. A righteous king. And you know what happens? Isaiah's preaching judgment, 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 judgment. And it gets to Isaiah chapter 6. And the one thing that may have been stopping the judgment of God goes away. Well, at least we got a good king. Hey, what's happened? All hope is lost for Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, he's looking around going, well, (laughs) I guess we're done. Isn't that what you think? We were out street preaching yesterday. I want you to know we were the problem. Go ahead and and ask uh, the restaurant there, Southern Fair, if we were the problem. They were the problem. Uh, You go ahead and ask River's End Bookstore. We were the problem. Go ahead and ask, ask the Children's Museum even. We were the problem. Man walking into, walking into River's End Books yesterday says to me, I was, out, I was out in front of that for most of my day. He looks over at me and he says, why you guys got to mess up our day? We're just having fun. Of course, I replied so graciously. <laughs> I didn't realize telling you you didn't have to burn a lake of fire for all of eternity was ruining your day. Say, what was it? He didn't want to hear that. He certainly wasn't happy with my reply. I had a lady cross the street. This is my favorite one. I, sometimes I'm terrible. I don't know. This might have been my flesh, but uh, it bothers me. It bothers you. This woman's walking by. These two older ladies are walking toward me. 
They're crossing the street from, from the Swans Corner. The Swans were over there. They're crossing the street. Uh, I think Michael Shelton was preaching at the time right in front of me. He was with me on my, on my corner at the time. And they come walking over. And I see her. She's muttering, you know, all the way. Muttering and shaking her head and, you know, saying whatever to the other lady. And so I, I go to give her a gospel track. And I say, hey, can I, get, can I get you one of these? Have you gotten one yet? And she says two words. She just says, brainwashed. No. So I replied, I did not realize you were brainwashed. I apologize. I can help you with that if you take one of these. That elicited a shocked reply from her of, I couldn't believe you'd say something like that, to which I thought, you just said that about me. That was your implication was that I'm brainwashed. Now, what she doesn't understand is she's probably right because I got washed. Um, but, you know, I wasn't going to go there. She didn't understand any of that side. You look around at what happened yesterday. About 4 o'clock, James and I, Brother James and I were still there. We had uh, Brother Michael, Brother Ed were still there. Uh, it was right before Brother Lang came. James and I didn't say it out loud, but both of us looked at each other as if, well, it's been four hours of us just getting beat up, feels like. And it just felt like a rough day. And we thought, you know what? <laughs> at least I thought it. I think James was thinking it. Well, we could just quit right now. Just have this all over with. I mean, it's hot. I mean, it was a nice day, but man, the sun was on us for four hours by that point. Thinking, man, what is the use? We are, we are just bashing into walls today. And it felt like you were running into walls. And what is it? Just hopeless feeling. No hope. And what's Isaiah feeling? I think he's feeling no hope right here. You and I look at our state, we look at our country, we look at a world. I don't know about you, I don't have a whole lot of hope for a whole lot of things continuing for very much longer. We just sang it, what if, what if it were today? I don't think, I don't think that's very far of, a, of an imagination to go, I, yeah, it could be today. I look around, I think, it can be today. The sad reality is that most Christians, when they start thinking that way, they stop thinking about what if he didn't come today. Now I am all for a rapture and I'm all for us getting out of here and I am all for this thing being done. Lord sounded a trumpet, you and I get off the face of this planet as quickly as humanly possible and actually it'd be faster than that. But we get out of here real soon and Lord sounded a trumpet, you and I in a moment in a twinkling of an eye be gone. I am ready for that. I want that so badly. I am ready to go. I'm done with this world. This place is a mess. It's a train wreck. But you realize that that is exactly what Isaiah is looking at. He's sitting here in Isaiah chapter 6. He is two years into preaching to a country saying, you guys are done. And the one king he had his entire life. Now, if he preached another 42 years after this 40 years after this event, he's been preaching for two. If he's preached at least another 40 years, I would dare say he's not 40 years yet when he preaches right here. What if he's 20 years old? 25 years old? 
He's been preaching for two years, judgment of God, judgment of God. Even if he's 40, you know what the only king he's ever known was? Uzziah. Sitting upon a throne. And he sees the best king, the only king he's known. That's supposed to be a good king. He sees him die. Say, what's the problem? All hope is lost. I know judgment's coming. God's been telling me so. And now what? Now judgment time. Or is it? Let's have a word of prayer. And let's talk about when all hope is lost. Father, I do pray that you would honor the service today. Help me, Father, to say what you want me to say. Father, I got a lot of things and a lot of thoughts and Lord, I pray that you'd help me just say the only, only the things you want me to say and all of the things you want me to say. Father, it'd be nothing more, nothing less than the message you'd have today. Father, I pray that you would help this to be a blessing to our church as well as to our visitors today. I hope that, Father, you would work in hearts. Lord, for people that are here today, if they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are absolutely without hope. But God, there's a Savior that can come and give them all the hope they need. Lord, so Father, I do pray you'd help me to say what you want me to say, that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up, and we do pray that you'd come back soon, even today, for it's in Jesus our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, notice, uh, he starts that verse off in the year that King Uzziah died. <laughs> Here's Uzziah, he's gone. Let's look at him first. Let's see the hope that was lost. Look back at 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And I mentioned some of these things, but I want you to see them. Some people don't know about Uzziah. They haven't read about him. They haven't checked him out. And so I, Second Chronicles, uh, one of your favorite books probably, right? Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 26. Could be worse. Could be First Chronicles, early, early parts of Ezra, Nehemiah, maybe little bits of Exodus that cover the tabernacle. Anyways, um... 2 Chronicles chapter 26, would you like some Levitical law? We could go. All right. Um, but 2 Chronicles 26, verse number 1, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. He built, he built Eleth and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was also, uh, also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. Now notice what he does, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to kind of grab some verses uh, throughout, just the sake of time. Uh, but verse number 5, notice, he sought the Lord in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. As, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Uh, he sought the Lord. That's a good way to start right. Go ahead and seek the Lord. Uh, he's seeking the Lord while he may be found. The Lord's blessing him for looking at him and trying to find him and trying to do it God's way. And God starts to bless him. And as long as he did that, he was fine. Now we know the end. Some of you already know the end. But he did right. He was following 
seeking God. Verses 6 all the way down through verse 14 talks about his warfare. He was a mighty king. He went ahead and he defeated armies that were around him and took land and took back things and restored things back to the nation of Israel. He goes ahead and he's building towers in the desert. In verse number 10, he digged many wells. He had cattle. He had all these things. He builds up wealth and power. He had a host of men to fight for him in verse number 11. Verse number uh, 13, under his hand was an army, 300,000 and 7,500 that made war with might, with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. He had everything. He's got shields and spears and slings and a bergerons and helmets. He's got everything. He's loading them up with all their armor. He's got all the armor. All about. He is a mighty king in power against his enemies. Verse number 15. He made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name was spread far abroad for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Lord put all these people, he gave them these cunning guys, these intelligent inventors, and these guys are inventing engines to do what? To launch giant boulders. Say, who came up with that? Israel did. Israel did. And Israel's the one, and this king is the one in charge, and you know what he's getting? He's getting these guys that are inventing stuff, and they're launching giant arrows and stones, and they are destroying people. You show up, we're going to siege a city. All of a sudden, a boulder comes flying over the wall at you. Takes out half your army, just down it comes, you know. You lose about 600 guys on one giant stone. You're like, what in the world was that? (laughs) We've never seen anything like powerful, mighty, the inventors. He's got all these things. He has built up and he is a mighty man and he is strong. He's a strong king who's been seeking the Lord. He's got all the power for their safety. And Isaiah's looking at this guy. He's the only king and he's reigned and now they've got peace and everything's fine and everything's going to be great. And we know what happens. Uzziah gets lifted up in pride. Right, verse 16 all the way down through the end of the chapter. Uzziah goes ahead and he goes to the one place where he's not supposed to be mighty and he's not supposed to have any authority. He goes into the temple to go ahead and do what he wanted to do in the temple and burn incense and do what he wanted. And the high priest goes ahead and withstands him and the priests are there and they, they, they're telling him, hey, Uzziah, King, you don't want to do this. This is not your place. You're not allowed to do this. This is not where you belong. And he wouldn't listen in his pride. He's going to go in. And the Lord goes ahead and smites him with leprosy. And he dies a leper. And you go, see that? He wasn't that great. Uh, What's God's description of David? A man after God's heart. Didn't David do wickedly? Uh, We like taking the worst thing anybody's ever done parading it in front of everybody and saying how terrible that person was. We like doing that. Why? Because it makes you feel better about you. Makes you think that you're just so fantastic because nobody's paraded what you've done in your stupidity in front of everybody else. Look back at verse number four, just real quick. 
and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Isn't that the summation for him? Isn't the summation, hey, he did right. He wasn't a terrible, wicked, awful king. He made a mistake. Yep, Lord recorded his mistakes. <laughs> but he did right in the sight of the Lord. And that's the king, that's the king Isaiah's been preaching to the nation of Israel during his reign going, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. And this king who is right with the Lord and he's doing right and he's trying to do things right, Isaiah sees him come to an end and he's going, well, our time's up. All over with now, isn't it? I mean, isn't, he is the only hope we had. We got nothing left. Who knows what the next guy's going to do? Who knows whatever, we're done. <laughs> and for him, all hope is lost. Look back at Isaiah chapter 6. I don't know if you ever feel like looking around in a world and going, yep, it's done. <laughs> Time's up. We're punching the clock. Let's get out of here. I don't know if you've ever thought that way. Maybe yesterday out on the street corner like I did. Like, man, we're done. This place is a mess. This place is an absolute terror. Hey, I'm done. I don't even want to be here anymore. Hey, this is all over with. We might as well forget it. Let's just cut our losses and get out. Here's Isaiah. I don't know how we're going to survive this. In the year that King Uzziah died, hope shows up. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Say, all hope is lost. So the one who has all the hope shows up. We feel hopeless oftentimes because, let's face it, you and I have nothing we can do about it. Uh, right? Uh, this is a terrible analogy, so don't mind me. Um, right? You get the conspiracy theory guy, right? And he's got all his conspiracy theories. And he's got them all, and he, he knows what's going on, right? Now, let's say he's right. Okay? Let's say the conspiracy guy is right, and everything is a scheme and all this things, right? Let's just say he's right. And then he goes and tells you. Okay? Now let's say he convinces you. What are you guys doing about it? Right, I'm, are you bringing down the entirety of a government? Uh, right? I mean, are we gonna we're gonna go in and storm? What are we gonna do? <laughs> let's say let's say they've got it all, and then you go and tell somebody else, and you know what they think? You're crazy. Now either they think you're crazy or they believe you, right? You're either crazy or they believe you. And then when they believe you, what are the three of you going to do? I'm just being realistic, okay? So then the question is, isn't it hopeless? By man's means, isn't that hopeless? 
realize you and I were given a hopeless task if we did it all in our own strength? Oh, let's go ahead. How are you going to get salvation? Well, that's hopeless. <laughs> Heaven is hopeless on your own. You go, well, I, I'm so great. Uzziah was great. Right up until he wasn't. <laughs> Even Uzziah made the mistake. Well, yeah, but he did right. He did right in the sight of the Lord. Yeah, but the Lord told you where his mistake was. You know what the problem is? You have mistakes. If you're in here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says that you're without hope and without God in this world. Having no hope. Why? Because you can't get to heaven on your own. See, people say, well, you know, uh, if my good works outweigh my bad works, everything will be good. You can't find that in one verse of the Bible. You know what they try to say says that? That the books are opened and every man is judged according to their works. They go, see, my good works will outweigh my bad works. That's not what it said. It said, according to your works, what you've done. Now, the problem is they don't understand what the scale actually is going to be. See, heaven is a place, he ends the chapter, Revelation chapter 21, it is a place where nothing defiling can enter in, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a, just one of them, a lie. We aren't good enough to get in. (laughs) We don't have any hope of getting in. I'm never going to be good enough to get in. Not by me. Not by man's means, it's hopeless. And so God says, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because there's one thing that can wash a man of their sins and bring him hope. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. It's the one means of restoring hope. Look over at Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42. Verse 11, or I'm sorry, verse number 5 first. Psalm 42, verse 5, he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? No hope. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Verse number 11, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. And my God. 43, verse number 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. God shows up. You know what you get? You get hope. Without him, you don't have any hope. Look over at Psalm 146. Psalm 146. The recognition that hope is all gone isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because it makes you have to figure out where your hope's supposed to be. Psalm 146, verse number 5. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. 
which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. By the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations, praise ye the Lord. You say, what's our problem? Our problem is our hope isn't in the right place. As a lost man, your hope needs to get moved over to the one who can give you the hope that you need. He's the Savior, the God of the universe, who gave His life a ransom for many and died for all of your sins and paid the debt so that you don't have to spend eternity in a lake of fire and you can have salvation given to you as a free gift. You can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. So what does that give you? Hope for all of eternity. Now, hope is a funny word because people go, well, uh, hope. They make it want to be a wish or a dream. That's not the definition of hope. Hope isn't just wishful thinking. Hope has an expectation of obtaining. If you don't expect to get it, you don't have any hope. Well, I hope I get to heaven. They're wishing. I wish I can get past a judgment. I wish I can make it. I mean, maybe I'll be good enough. There's no real expectation for you. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that you may know certainty that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Our hope shows up when Jesus Christ showed up. When he gave his life a ransom for many and he paid the debt of all of our sins, our hope has been revived. But for the Christian today, the lost, they need a Savior because they have no hope for all of eternity. You're saved in here today. We have hope for a great departure. We're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for the day when you and I, we just leave this place behind and it's all over with. But might I ask you, I think you ought to be ready for that day. I don't want you to misunderstand me at all. You ought to be ready for a trumpet to sound today. I get afraid that we're so focused on a trumpet sounding And we forget to do what we ought to do today while we wait for His appearing. We get so consumed knowing, man, I I see who's in office and I see what laws they're passing and I see what they're doing and I see the riots in the street and I see all the things and the the world is just going terrible. I mean, a trumpet's got to sound next Tuesday, so uh, I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to plan to the future. I don't have to go ahead and think about, well, what's going to happen in 10 years or 12 years or 15 years or 20 years. The Bible still says where there is no vision, the people perish. Well, I mean, what's the use? Nobody's trusting Christ. You know, that would have been the case yesterday if uh, Brother James and I said, yeah, let's just be done at four. Because it was right about four o'clock, two teenage girls walked up. 
I was preaching, I think, at the time. Brother James stopped him and started talking for a moment. By the time I came over, I didn't, I didn't talk. I just kind of stepped over to make sure everything was okay and keep an ear out and kind of look around, make sure nobody's going to bother Brother James while he was talking with them. That's, you know, that's the backup guy's job, right? We're supposed to just make sure he can do what he needs to do, say what he needs to say. We stay out of the way, but make sure nobody else gets in the way, right? So that's what I'm doing. I'm kind of keeping an eye out. I'm listening a little bit. You know what I hear? I hear, well, yeah, we're, we're here with our grandma from out of town. And, uh, you know, we're up from Pennsylvania visiting our grandma and so on. And, 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 in fact, we don't even know where grandma is right now. And I thought, Lord, please don't let them think they need to go find grandma right now. And they didn't need to go find grandma right now. And they kept listening. And James kept answering. And James kept opening the scriptures. And James kept dealing with them. And the Lord had a chance. To do what? To show up and give those two girls hope. Give them hope. Hope for eternity. Give them new life forever. What happens if we go, well, eh, what's the point? I fear that that will be the case by many Christians. Go, well, the end is here. Might as well just be done. And they'll slow down before they finish their race. So yeah, a trumpet's got to sound. I believe a trumpet sounded soon. I am not a scoffer. Where's the promise of his coming? For since I'm not one of those, all right? That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that uh, 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote down that Jesus Christ is coming back today. That's what he's thinking. He is ready for the Lord to come back. When he's writing, he's going, hey, I'm looking for his coming. Isn't that what he was getting? He was getting a crown. Why? Because he loved the Lord's appearing. He was waiting for the Lord just to show up, take us all to, out of here. How many times have we heard, well, the Lord's coming back, and it's got to be, and they set the date, and they tell you it's going to be 84 and 93 and whatever, 2097, I think, was another one, and 2002 and 2004, and 2000, they just keep racking them up, right? And now the next one's 2023. Be ready to go. 2023, we got one more year. Let's get it done, all right? Seems to me that the Lord is not on the same timetable that you and I are ever on. And we can sit here and go, well, he's coming in 2023. Okay, but the problem is that Paul's statement about it was, I fought a good fight and I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Yeah, but all hope is lost. Okay, then you've discounted the one who has all hope. Look back at Isaiah chapter 6. I am not going to ask you to raise your hands and tell me how many of you have ever read the entirety of the book of Isaiah. I'm not asking that. But, if you've never read it, I'd encourage you to read it. I know we encourage reading the Bible here. You ought to read your Bible. If you never read Isaiah, I think you ought to read it. You say, well, what's so important about Isaiah? Obviously, you never read it then, all right? Isaiah, ultimately, at this particular moment, is about to make a choice. 
And you get down to verse number five, right? And it's, woe is me, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew unto me having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not my heart. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears and eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and covet, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten, as a teal tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Now you get into Isaiah here, and you know what? He's standing there. He knows there's no hope. He knows it's over. And the Lord shows up. And the Lord says, who's going to go? Why? Because he's not done yet. So you think the Lord's not done? I have no idea, but we're still breathing. I didn't hear a trumpet this morning. Say, so are we going to hear one today? I don't know. But I do know this. If he doesn't sound a trumpet today, who will go for him? Isaiah's sitting there. You know what he said? Me. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. Here am I. I'll go. Isaiah had no idea what he just signed up for. So what's the Lord going to do with me? No idea. You know what he may do with you? He may have you be the only person that witnesses at your job. Not everybody's called to go be a pastor somewhere in a church or a missionary or an evangelist or a whatever. But if the Lord asked you to do something, would you do it? You realize that as soon as he signs up for that, you and I now are looking at a book that is 66 chapters long now. It doesn't stop at the end of chapter 6. He gets 60 more chapters. He gets 40 more years at least. 40 years, and you know what he gets? He gets the book of the revelations of God to the Old Testament. We read Isaiah, and you know what we think of? We think of the revelation that was given to John in 90 AD. You realize that is 700 plus, almost 800 years after the last writing was down on paper for Isaiah. He puts the period at 698. B.C., 790 years later almost, is when John gets the revelation that you and I all think of when we look at Isaiah. So why did he get that? Because he decided, I'll just go. I'll go. Who will go for us? 
Well, if you'd be willing to go, I'm now going to preach the last point. And it's the entire book of Isaiah. So you don't have time for that. Nope. But we're going to do it anyways. You realize Isaiah chapter 6, you know what he got? He got the first glimpse into heaven that mankind ever really got. He got to see the Lord sitting upon a throne with the seraphim surrounding Him in the glories of heaven and holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty and the doorposts are moving and He gets the first glimpse that mankind has ever gotten into the glories of heaven. You get into chapter 7. You know the spot, verse number 14. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. The first revelation of the Messiah had his name. Given to who? Someone with no hope. The Lord says, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm, we're going to have a virgin conceive and bear a son. We'll call his name Emmanuel. Five chapters. Judgment, 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 judgment. Hey, by the way, there's going to be a Savior. His name's going to be Emmanuel. God's going to show up and a virgin's going to conceive. And... What? <laughs> what? Chapter 9? Right? You get to chapter 9, the Messianic chapters here. And you get to chapter 9 and verse 6, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. With no hope, he's looking at the king of all the universe showing up for Israel. No hope. King showing up. You and I believe in the remnant of Israel. That God's going to preserve a remnant of Israel forever. And they're going to survive through that tribulation time and they're going to come out and God's going to restore Israel because of a remnant that stays. Isaiah chapter 10. Verse number 20, you know what you get? And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped out of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, that yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Say, where do we get the idea of a remnant? We got it from Isaiah. That Israel would return as a remnant and they'd come back to the almighty God of the universe and they'd go ahead and get Him back. And they'd go and dwell in the land of Jacob again. Who are they? They're the remnant. <laughs> and where do we get that? From a man with no hope who said the entirety is going to be gone and he's going to destroy it and the vineyard's going to get ripped up. Chapter 5, vineyard's ripped up. You're done. Oh wait, God will preserve a remnant. Man. Isaiah just destroyed all five, cha five chapters of book. He just, uh, I had to tear up all my sermons and get rid of everything because now all my doctrines changed. <laughs> Why? Because now I've got a remnant. I thought we were destroyed. Now we've got a remnant. Get to chapter 11. Look at verse number 6. Now you're in the millennial kingdom. Look at this thing. 
Verse number 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. What? And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling, sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. What? What are you talking about? You realize, you and I understand, right? When we step into, if you're a Bible believer, we've, you've been coming to this church, you understand in the millennium, he's going to restore creation. Anybody got a cross-reference for that spot? There isn't one. Anybody got anything in Revelation where God's going to have the lion lay down with the lamb and the kid's going to be able to put his hand in the hole of the asp? And have I got that anywhere else? Oh, you mean Isaiah's the only one who's got it? That's the verse we go to. The man who said it's all over with. The man who's ready to quit. The man who's going, no, there's nothing left now. God says, don't worry, let me show you some things. Let me show you some things. Because I'm not done yet. Chapter 12, you have eternity. Verse number 6, they show up, cry out and shout, Thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. You have all of eternity showing up. Chapter 13, you want to know what happens to Babylon? <laughs> Read chapter 13. Iraq, Iraq all the, go ahead. Read chapter 13. Chapter 14, you know what you have? You have Israel and their fate, and you have, in the second half of the chapter, you have the greatest enemy of God and where he came from. How art thou fallen from heaven? Verse number 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Verse 12, I'm sorry. Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Where we learn about Satan's attempt to overthrow God. Isaiah chapter 14. From Isaiah chapter 14, verse 18, all the way, we won't read it, <laughs> through chapter 23, you have Israel's enemies destroyed. The fate of all of Israel's enemies show up. You get to chapter, by the time you get out to chapter 34, check this out. Chapter 34 of Isaiah. Verse number 9, And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched day nor night. The smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. You have a burning lake of fire on the planet where the judged and condemned will go. Now, who knows about that? Isaiah did. When everything was gone. Look over at chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. Hezekiah is king. One of the greatest miracles in all of the Bible. Verse number 8. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees by which degrees it was gone down 
What did the Lord do? He just backed the sun up 10 degrees. Yeah, the Lord's probably done by now. Yeah, until you get to chapter 40 where he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, and Israel is finally comforted. I mean, unless you want to go ahead and read Genesis, or, uh, chapters 42 to 45. Hey, what is that? God saying, I am. Over and over and over. We'll look at a couple of them just because I like it. Uh, look, at, uh, look at chapter 42, verse 8. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory will not, I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. This is, these are the awesome ones right here. Uh, you go ahead and just keep looking. Uh, 43, 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. He's the Savior. That's who He is. Uh, look at verse number 15. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Look over at chapter 44, verse 5. One shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe his hand uh, with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the, whole, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Who is he? There isn't anybody like him. There never has been, there never will be. He is unequaled and unparalleled. And God stands there, you know what he looks around, he says, is there anybody like me? Is there a God? Beside me, there isn't any. And Lucifer didn't even bat an eye. He just sat there in silence because he knows he's not. The idols in the world and all the things that they pile up, you know what? None of those gods stood up and said, hey, wait a minute. You know what they all did? They acquiesced to the God of all the universe. Not one of them standing up to say anything different. They want to try and steal his glory, but they know they can't compete. Not a one. You get to Isaiah chapter 53 and you have the revelation of Jesus Christ, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Man, we talk about that passage. I street preached that passage about every message I preached yesterday. I referenced that spot. Why? Because that's what he did for us. The fact that there would be a Savior to pay for the debt of all of our sins. Shows up in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 61. I'm skipping some stuff. There's some good stuff all the way through. I can't get all of it in, alright? How about this? Verse number 3. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. These are the trades that God wants to make. The exchanges He likes to make. Check this out. To give them beauty for ashes. 
What'd you do? I showed up to the Lord with my pile of ashes. And I said, this is my life. I'm going to spend eternity burning a lake of fire. All I've got's ashes. You know what he says? I'll give you beauty for that. Give you beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. Been in times of mourning. Who shows up? The Lord does. Takes your mourning away and gives you some joy. To give the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What are you feeling? I'm feeling heavy. (laughs) I'm feeling a weight. The sin that does so easily beset us. He says, oh, I'll take all those cares. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. How about we make a quick exchange right here? I'll take your heavy cares and your concerns and all your problems and all the things you got going on. I'll take all that. You can have all my stuff. Say, what's that? Just easy and light. Find out about God's exchange program. Psalm 65, he ends the chapter letting you know. Verse number, not quite the end, verse number 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall be remembered, shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. Say, what does he tell you? Uh, I got a new heavens and a new earth. You say, yeah, but he tells us that in Revelation. Yeah, that's 700 years later. Almost 800 years later, you get that again. Oh, well, you know, Second Peter tells us, uh-huh, I know, but that's still almost 700 plus years later. Get to chapter 66. And it's all on the eternal worship of a holy God. You realize that the next 40 years at least that he's writing, he got to wake up every morning and say, God, what's going on today? He got to wake up in the morning and say, here am I. Send me. What do we got today? Hey, God, I woke up today. That means we're not done yet. What can I do today? He says, hey, you can write this down about my son. Hey, I'm going to let you know this is what it's going to be like for all of eternity. Hey, by the way, I'm going to let you know that I'll exchange all that terrible stuff you got for all of the greatness that I have. You know what he decided? He decided, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm just going to sit down and go ahead and get on the ride. I'm going to sit down on the plane seat. They're going to close the door. And the flight we're about to take doesn't end until I land. Who's taking care of it? Lord's taking care of it. Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to bother anymore. You, you realize once you're on the plane and the doors are sealed and the thing starts to take, you aren't getting back off. <laughs> Isaiah, you're not getting back off. You signed up. Let's do this. 
But you know what he got to do? He got to write revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation. And you and I look at it and go, man, I think Isaiah as an old man is sitting there and he's writing down that last sentence. He puts the period on it. looks around and he says, well, Lord, that was amazing. And I thought we were done back there. I know it seems hopeless. I know you look out there and everything's crazy and everything's terrible. I got it. I'm seeing the same things you're seeing. That doesn't guarantee a trumpet sounding right now. It's coming. And it may be coming quick. But what if, like Isaiah, he gives you another 40? Imagine what you're going to miss out on if you don't stay with him. Imagine what you'll miss out on for all of eternity if you go, well, who cares? We're just living this life. Okay. You don't have him as your Savior? You're definitely not getting any of this. You're saved in here. You don't want to do it his way. You don't get to have it. You don't get to see all the things he gets to do. All the things he can show you. All the greatness. We look over our lives. And I think Isaiah looks back and he's going, That's quite a trip. Nobody would ever believe me. But he wrote it down. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're feeling hopeless. You look out there and you see what I see. Maybe today's the day instead of going, well, it's all over with, might as well just be done. Maybe today's the day you go, hereby. Keep sending me. So I surrendered a while ago. Okay, maybe you ought to go, yeah, but I've been doubting the idea of me keeping going. So, hey, Lord, I'm still in it. Keep me in it. I don't want, I don't want to give up now. Could you imagine if you gave up now, you sat down and you just said, well, you know, and Lord gave you another 40 years. Don't give up now. Fight a good fight. Finish your course. Let's go ahead and stand this morning. Lord's dealing with you today. You need to come. Go ahead and come. It is amazing the life you get to have because of how great of a God you could serve. I don't know who's saved and who's lost in this room. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior in a moment, maybe you've never been in church before, I don't know. In a moment, they're going to play and we're going to sing and some folks are going to come and they're going to pray down here and we call this the altar. It's a place where some decisions are made. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have any hope of eternity. And this morning I want to invite you to come and get my attention. We'll have someone take a Bible and show you out of the Word of God what He says about salvation and knowing you.
you can have hope for all of eternity that Jesus Christ is your Savior. No, no, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're going to heaven because of the promises God has made. I hope you're willing to come and let me do that. If you're saved in here, I hope you haven't given up hope on a Savior that He can reach to a lost world. I hope you haven't given up hope and said, well, it's all over with, we're just done, let me just sit here and take my ease. It's not time to take our ease, it's time to finish. Let's finish strong. Finish the course. Father, I do pray you'd help work in our hearts this morning. I thank you for how great you are to us. If someone here is not saved, I pray they'd have the courage, the boldness to step out and speak with us. Lord, we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name, amen.